we we purchased a t-shirt gun for a to shoot um uh, well, khaki pants and <laughs> breadcrumbs and marshmallows at a crowd of our fans. I'm so glad I'm not your accountant. Yeah. <laughs> well, the worst part is they did not send us an invoice. So now I, we, there's just $700 on my company card to uh, like gunsandfun.com. Mr. Mr. Humanity, I just had a couple quick questions <laughs> for you. I noticed here that you were looking to purchase an island for some reason. <laughs> Now I know you should follow up by buying yourself some kind of a cannon. <laughs> there, there are certain forms that need to be filled out for these uh, kind of things. T-shirt cannon. You shot breadcrumbs at people? Uh, I made my intern do it. I was too scared. You um, have an intern? I have I, I have a shared, my, my boss and I have a shared intern. Like there, there are many. It's an open intern. open relationship. <laughs> Basically, we, we have a poly intern. <laughs> <laughs> poly internship? Uh, yeah. <laughs> And oh I've, man, can you imagine the logistics of that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I have a, I've had a pretty good friend who was polyamorous, and I could never put it together. I just, how do you decide where to sleep? Uh, well, I, I, I have many friends who are poly, and it's basically exactly as well. The people who do it well, it's as as pragmatic as you would think. Like, oh. I see that uh, it's raining, so I'm going to stay here. Oh, the the bus t- takes me to this person's house. I-, I will stay here this evening. Wow. So it's really just like having a friend. Max, Max is here. <sighs> Do they wear bathrobes? I imagine they wear a lot of bathrobes. <laughs> that's, no, that's an orgy. <laughs> so that's different. Yes. An orgy is different than a polyamor. Uh, y- yes, and, and I did not know this that uh, it is not an orgy until there's five people because a foursome's a thing. Um, and you Whoa, can't call you it. Called a, you call it a quartet. <laughs> oh, I, there's so much I don't know. You know what it is? It's old thinking on my part. It's old thinking. I I, I think anytime more than two unhappy people are having sex, it's it's got to be something weird with bathrobes. <laughs> You're telling me this is a lifestyle. If it's raining, you stay here. You, you bring the key. You bring the bowl of keys with you over to your friend's house. Maybe some snacks. If there's five of you, it might be an orgy. Now, what if one of you is tired or has a cold? Does that revert back to being a quartet? Uh, I don't know. I think it depends who has the HBO Go password. That's really. a good point. Yeah, and, uh, these people—they're not tired all the time, like I am. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't. I don't understand how you could have uh, a job, multiple partners, and a pets. job, multiple partners, a pet. I still, I'm still have hi. How's it going, yeah. Max? Yeah, I, this is weird. What are we talking about? I don't, sexual, I don't think sexual I pr- intercourse. I don't think I. I don't know how this. people find the energy. <laughs> how do they find the energy to do this? I changed the cat box and I need a nap. Hmm. I think also I think people like sex more than they used to. I think sex was really hot in the 70s, and and sex is hot now. And then for a long time, it was just kind of an optional. <laughs> you think it's a cultural thing? Mm-hmm. I think it, I think there's um, there's an ethnographic thing. I, I think, think there's I think like the internet made people have sex. I think there's sex guys. Like oh, I I know some guys. I know some people who are who are sex guys. I used to go out with a sex girl a long time ago, and uh, we were not polyamorous because I'm a small man and I'm very envious <laughs> and I really I care more about what other people do when they're not with me than when they're with me. I have concerns, but I, I had a dog then and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, I, I've had bathrobes. I have a bathrobe I like now. But I don't. I don't <laughs> I don't know where people find the energy. <laughs> I don't want to clean out that bowl when they're done with the keys. You just imagine all the people touching that. All right. We got to talk about the Apple keynote or Top Chef in the next 30 seconds or I'm about to be uh, extremely uncomfortable. Oh, like Tim Cook's bulge. <laughs> his shirt was tucked in. He looked very good. Uh, I, I, I like that he's setting should, a should trend of. Uh, you're talking about his Johnson. 
<laughs> I, I'm complimenting the the the. Uh, there were two bumps at the Apple keynote today. One. Oh, it's like in that episode of Star Trek. There are two <laughs> bumps. And then they, they yell at Professor Don't, X. How dare you make a Star Trek joke? <laughs> and then Professor X said the wrong number of bumps, and they, and they yelled at him. Was one bump Tim Cook's penis and the other bump on the back yeah. of the iPad camera? Yes. That, that, Two bumps. That, that was a, a joke I tried they to added, make. They added they, the dingus <laughs> is on the back of the iPad now. I've been making a podcast all morning, so I'm only just now seeing how <laughs> mad people are. So th- they made the new iPad that everybody wants, but it's got a bump? Yep. Got the bump. Oh, that's frustrating. And then they made a, they're back to the iPhone uh, 5. Those were the two big announcements. <laughs> I love the iPhone 5. It's the best iPhone. But it doesn't have Touch ID? It has first generation Touch ID. Oh, it came, came over on the boat at Ellis Island, changed <laughs> its name from iPhone to Wits. <laughs> yeah. Come on, that's funny. Fuck you. <laughs> that's funny. I, I'm, I'm laughing. Are Jewish people ever uh, polyamorous, Max? I mean, I, 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 have, I have so much anxiety I can barely manage one relationship. Oh, sing it, sister. I don't know if I could feel inadequate for more than one person at a time. I think, I think in order for me to fully appreciate how inadequate I am on every level, I'd like to really keep but it the amount that But the amount that I let my person. girlfriend down, can you imagine that at scale? Like, I just <laughs> so much more I could be doing with everything. I can't imagine doing so little for so many people. Yeah. I don't know. That's a tricky thing. I don't know. Do they drink a lot of sangria? Uh, I, I, I well, no, because that that kills your stamina. Got it's got the oh, Red Bull and vodka. You gotta have an, get, get an energy drink. Yep, full yeah. loco. Do you do it? On, do you do it on a bed? <laughs> do you put that tarp? Do you have a tarp, know. or how does it work? <laughs> Is there like a built-to-purpose tarpaulin for these things? Or well, how do we get on this? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, people are different today, Max. There's all kinds of options. I'm having some salami. What are you eating? Well, let's see. I brought um, a. Uh, I have here a uh, bag of internet ramen. I brought this all the way back from the fine city of San Francisco, uh, where my good friend Merlin gave me a bag of internet ramen. Oh, you're gonna and love it! I'm gonna make it and eat it right here on the podcast because I think if there's one takeaway from this podcast is that people really love the sound of us eating. Uh, people love food. Cooking instructions. Now, the English instructions are like the fourth down here, which is a very good sign. What do you? What's your instrument for cooking these? What do you got there? Now I have a, a kettle of bo- of just boiling water. Uh, recently boiled water? Yes. That'll work. Insta hot. It's from the Insta hot. All right. It's not. It's not ideal, but it should work. What do you? What it do you? What work. do you want? What do you go with? The way I go is pretty Byzantine, mm-hmm. but uh, I think you'll be fine. I mean, you know, the 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 way the normal sucker way to make ramen is that you pour the water over the noodles and then mix in the stuff. I like to do the curry packet separately so it gets broken up. Okay. So you don't get too many curry pockets. Okay. So let's but, see but here. So I think you're gonna enjoy. So, it so the way. noodles, noodles first. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, boy, one pot. This is this is wow. Yeah, sure. You, okay. you, you could do it all. You do. You really want to mix up that curry though, otherwise you're gonna get a curry pocket. Okay. I'm, I'm breaking my. So I'm chunking up my noodles because we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk about polyamory anymore. I. <laughs> is this it? Is this the show? Um. Digga, 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 digga. You're you're breaking up there, Merlin. <laughs> Speaking of which. Okay. <clears throat> um. Max. Uh huh. Alex. Don't oh, film me you eating. Go- Alex is taking a video. Don't. I'm this is sorry. what you pay me for. Don't film my shame. <laughs> Look away. No, let me know when you pour the hot. I, I want okay. right. to watch it. All right, let's I see here. Think. So I start yeah. with the chili paste, something called the soup sachet, and the non-dairy creamer. Okay. Chili yeah. 
paste. You, you might want to mix up. Have you put the Have you put the ramen block in the bowl yet? Yeah, yeah. Is there any other liquid in there? No. You 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 might want to you might want to uh, heat up the the sauce packs first. Mm-hmm. But see, the, I, I yeah I do it separately. You'll be all right. Just mix it all in. We'll be fine. <laughs> Act like it's college. Okay. Okay. Here we this go. It's not gonna be optimal. I'm gonna have to send you. You know what? I'm gonna Amazon you some more of these. In goes the chili paste. Do you know about the ramen? The ramen review websites. The guy who like reviews every ramen, every instant ramen available. I, I, I'm not aware of any particular one, but I did discover that this was this was the talk of many ramen esque blogs for okay. a while. Did you see that? This one gets highly rated, lots of places, even though it's not it's not technically ramen. Right. No. The, the the all the best ones are like Tom Ka soup and stuff like that. Okay. I've sort of extruded the chili paste in. Now I'm going to do the. Seasoning powder, yeah, the salt pack, and the other salt pack. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Comes with comes well, with. This three is packets. the secret salt. This is the, this is the secret salt. This is you get three sachets with this. Mm-hmm. What is a sachet? I think of it as a French envelope, which is already a French envelope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What was your po- what did you do this morning? You weren't watching the, the Apple the Apple uh, news. Oh, let's see. I had to talk about Lord of the Rings with uh, John Roderick. Oh, fun. Yeah, he okay. he's very frustrated that I've never read any of the books. I um, I've tried to read Lord of the Rings many times, and I find it extremely boring. I can't get into them. My um, my my okay, uh, here's my, the non dairy creamer. Put it in. My my wife and my daughter have read The Hobbit, which means that two people in our house have now read something by Tolkien. Anyway, I only have two funny anti uh, nerd badges, uh, which is one I'm not that familiar with Star Trek's. And uh, and I've uh, never read anything by Tolkien. Other than that, I'm I'm pretty nerdy. The thing is, I here's the thing with Star Trek is you would like it so much. There's so much to chew on. The same way that when you started watching Adventure Time, yeah, I really yeah. I really loved listening to you and, and Dan Benjamin talk about all that. You found all this meaning in Adventure Time that made me take a, a second look at it. Of like all these. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, right. It's like that stuff that you found in Adventure Time is not necessarily in the show. It's something you brought to it, mm. right? Where's the meaning? Where's the meaning? Is it that the, the author put it in there? Did you bring it? Did you bring it in there? Have you ever listened to the podcast called Conversation Parade? Oh yes, love it. Oh, okay, right, yeah, right. yeah, so love. We should mention. I'll put this in notes. We should mention to our listeners that uh, I'm gonna call it two seasons. There's been two runs of Conversation Parade, and it's John Moe and Open Mike Eagle uh, talking about Adventure Time, and they dive pretty deep. If you're not persuaded that there's stuff there, like listen to Mike Eagle talk about Magic Man. But, but, even, but he, he, he's the only person that's made me ever give a second glance to Magic Man. But he is bringing that to Adventure Time. I mean, some of it's there and some of it's what they're bringing in their, in their insight, in their life experience. But yeah. regardless, Star Trek is much the same way of like, right. I can't tell you every day of my life I read something in the news or I have a, a situation in my life and I'm like, wow, this is really reminds me of some sort of like, like – ethical situation or, or storyline that came that came from Star Trek. Like Star- I feel like there was some kind of a guide <laughs> help me. Mm-hmm. There's two different mm-hmm. series of Star Treks I'd like to watch, mm-hmm. and I feel like if I only had some way to guide me in some, I would say less than like 85 hours. Yeah, like well, we'll never know. We'll never it's know. A small, it's a small, it's not a lot to ask. We'll never know. Uh, you know, I should do that. I was on an episode of Scott McNulty's Star Trek's Th- But you got the worst episode, though. It was not a good episode. Not good at all. It was pretty creepy. Okay, here we go. I'm getting into this ramen now. So let's see. Okay. So it's all, it's not, I'm going to be honest, it is not mixing too well. Yeah. It's kind of, I, I got some, that, I yeah. got some lumps. You did predict yeah, that. And also, I mean, like, to me, it's all about the heat, 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 heat. So uh, what I'll do is, well, you know, it doesn't help now, but I, I, after this, it's I good. will. It's uh, good and salty. 
That's very good. Yeah, well, and it's got some zing. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh. If you want, I, I will tell you my whole recipe. We don't do it right now because we still have to talk about this episode of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, thank you to all of our new listeners who enjoy the Top Chef uh, program. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I got a whole way that I do this. I got, I got a lot of science I introduced to how I do it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so Woo! I should watch. Yeah, it's got some zing, right? You there, it? It <clears throat> there it is. Wow. I also add a little bit of sriracha. A little bit of soy sauce and a little bit of that stuff people put on soba noodles. <clears throat> whoa, whoa, whoa! You know the tiny shaker on a Japanese uh, table? Oh yeah, the um, negabaki. Uh huh. Nekasaki. Uh huh. That sounds right. I'll watch some Star Treks. I think your 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 daughter may be at the age like that's when I started watching Star Trek, and I was just stupid. Like you have to be at that age where you're just young and dumb enough to think that it's really good TV. Yeah, that's important for a lot of things. Like, like give the, it another try. The same way of Star Wars, right? Like, yeah. if you can not read Star Wars as melodrama, but watch it and read it as drama, it's incredible. I think of the first Star Wars movie as being a lot like Mad Max Fury Road, mm-hmm. where, you know, it introduced so much new vocabulary visually, but, you know, the story. You should really read the book. <laughs> it's called A Callback. This ramen is so good. I can't even, I don't even care that I'm being uh, made fun of. Yeah. No, 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 it's gentle. It's gentle, not not a polyamorous way. I'll, I'll give you the full recipe later that you can introduce in your home environment. Obviously, obviously, range top ramen is the best ramen. Um, now, with regards to our new listeners that you mentioned, I did um, I did check out um, my uh, self-confidence was hovering around normal this week, and I decided to go check out some of the iTunes reviews of our show, oh, and no. I thought I would read a couple on the air. Oh, God, no. <laughs> There's some really good ones. I haven't read a review for one of my shows in five years. Please don't. Um this one is by Pack Your Knives and Go. The title is Embarrassing. The podcast hosts make a mockery of the show. They are completely unprepared, and this podcast has only been around for one episode. Do oh, not no. subscribe. A total waste of time. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Pack Your Knives and Go. Um, I wonder, wonder what kind of, It sounds like they might, might enjoy the show a lot. That's right in their username? Yeah, it's right there. I mean, I think they're looking for all the best Top Chef uh, podcasts, and we're definitely around the bottom. Let's see here. Um... Let's see. This one is uh, when this podcast is on and talking about food and the TC game, it is really good. An example is bringing on Grant Atkins' business partner, Nick Kikonis, who could offer intelligent and informative insight into the Restaurant Wars episode. They also do a good job of making you think about the chefs differently than you might if you were to sink into your own opinion about them, personal dislikes versus whether they are good contestants. But then the bad creeps in. The hosts need to take notes when they watch the show. Just basic things are wrong, such as knowing which chef or which team did that week because of, oh, I can't remember. And it tends to be a total detail-obsessed listener-slash-watcher. Like It tends to drive a detail-obsessed listener-slash-watcher like me crazy Yeah, that they attribute a win or a dish to the wrong team. And uh, God, that must be incredibly and completely irrelevant, such as the nearly 25 minutes of discussion of cats between two hosts <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> of, quote, old Sicilian woman. <laughs> Why? It has nothing to do with Top Chef. Does it? I can sure deal with the many sure offhand mentions of Project Runway, but this was way too much. <laughs> we mentioned Project Runway. That's a problem. <laughs> the Top Chef discussion is what we are here for. Mm. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> are you really sure that's why? Are you sure, first of all, that you're here? Yeah. Oh, God, that went so much better than I expected. Yeah. Well, that was a three-star review. <laughs> three stars at the end, yeah. Three stars. I yeah. love a three-star review. That was by uh, Anton Ego. Oh, God. Really? No. That was by uh, CMW9. Thank you, CMW9. 
did you click through and look at their reviews of other things? Because mm. that's what I tend to do. I'm a big fan, especially when I go to some kind of uh, living abortion, mm-hmm. like the San Francisco uh, Chronicle paper site. Mm-hmm. I like to go through it and look at the, their other comments. And I, I often find uh, there are even more interesting ones in other places, just for what it's worth. Oh, look, they've, report, they've written similar reviews of other Top Chef po- podcasts. Unrelated topics such as their latest celebrity sighting, film preferences, or new kids on the block tunes. Yuck. And an angry review about a crosswords app. It's kind of like doing a review <laughs> of like a fetish porn. Where like, like you're somebody who's really into arc welding and you watch a porno that happens to have the theme. Maybe it's, uh, you know, arc, arc welding as the, as the kind of the, the jumping off point for the, for the porno. And you're mad about all this intercourse because they're not really addressing the basic issue of how to become a better welder. Or a more Swanier uh, welder. I mean, it's a very good ramen. Thanks. Yeah, I'll wow. walk you through the recipe. Wow. It's got some zing. It's got a little bit of zing to it. I can't. Yeah, it's good. It's like the broth is, it's got, it's like the, I think it's that non-dairy creamer. It gets a little, yeah. it's a little creamy. It's good. You, you can ramen hack that a little bit if you want to use real coconut milk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like, I like the packet. Wow. Now what about, uh, you get a little uh, scallion going in there? I will. I'll hack it with some scallion. If there's any leftover proteins, I'll throw them in. But I like it fine just by itself. And it's, it's a great it's a great snack. It's great Ra- office food. Ramen noodles are so good. They are. And it's, uh, it's, it's funny because you think of ramen as being this thing you buy for a quarter or 50 cents because you're a student. And it's all just uh, one blast of MSG and, you know, shrimp butts. But, like, this actually has some, uh, there's some flavors unfolding in there, as MC Hammer There's a real depth of flavor. Well, you know, I think from the reviews, what we can tell is people are here for our accurate and timely commentary on uh, Top Chef. So I think we should get right into this episode and just go ahead and congratulate Amar on his win of uh, season 13 <laughs> of Top Chef. Yeah. Great well in my notes. <laughs> can we come back later? Let me apologize for last week. Wait, what I happened? Just say, I just want to say mm-hmm. the audio quality last week mm-hmm. was nobody's fault but mine. I recorded you on my end. I just want to say I want Alex to be off the hook for this. I screwed up. I was trying something fancy, and your mic wasn't on, and that's why it sounded we like heard you were it. in another room. We heard it in uh, in the cans. It sounded it good in the there. cans, but it didn't go didn't go onto the drive. You you sounded like you were in a refrigerator box, and not not a nice refrigerator. That's box. too bad because it was a funny one. I feel like people that's are really missing episode. out. Yeah. Anyway, I want to apologize to everybody, including my team here, that uh, that I, I screwed that up. Not funny, but you know. Well, listen. I hope the uh, reviewers do not take it out on us. <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that to yourself? I'm just reading the iTunes reviews. I love the one-star reviews on Amazon for stuff. On uh, the Cards Against Humanity, the one-star reviews are really oh, I love those. I, there's, a, there's a Twitter I follow that's just like hilarious Amazon reviews. There was, like, there was a review of the Avengers Age of Ultron where they said, this is nothing like it was in the Bible. <laughs> Some of my favorites are because you know Amazon has everything. So yeah. I've had re- I've had times in my life or reasons when I was trying to buy an element. Like um, I tried to get my my girlfriend is a chemist, so occasionally I will get her some sort of cool chemistry type gift. So I got her a thing of gallium, which is an element, and it's cool. It's this metal that melts in your hand and it's safe to handle. But it's just an element, right? It's like naturally occurring element. It's not like a product <laughs> that someone makes. And right. if you go on Amazon, there's all kinds of one-star reviews for gallium. And they're like, not as fun as I thought it would be. Like, it was <laughs> the color was wrong. Like, it was too gray. It's like, it, it's an element of the universe. Like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> this hydrogen didn't smell like anything. Yeah. Terrible for aromatherapy. One star. Yeah. It was just like, what do you, what do you want? It's like, that is the, that's what it is. 
<sighs> yeah. Yeah, I, you know, you got to just, you got to avoid that stuff. You, you got to not look at it. You know what we should do? I had an idea. We should find out if anybody there, uh, if there's anybody out there that, like a, is a podcast consultant, mm-hmm. like somebody who could come in and tell us some t- tips and tricks, maybe through, I don't know, like affiliate marketing, but, but some way that we could uh, growth hack the show through social media. Oh, really juice it you, up. If you don't get your, if you don't get 30% of your podcast support within the first 24 hours, you might as well just turn the thing off. <laughs> oh, you're referring to that, um, this crazy interview I did. What, 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 what are you talking about? What interview? Um, I did, I uh, so the story, the story behind this is, uh, I got an email from a woman who does a Kickstarter podcast. I am, uh, in addition to having done a bunch of Kickstarters and like basically made my living on that website, like I try to, um, I don't know. It's like one of the only technologies where I, I really feel like I'm part of the community of people who use it and I care about its future and all that. And this woman emailed me and she's like, I do that. I'm a Kickstarter, you know, consultant or whatever. And I do this podcast and you're, you're see, Max is sandbagging mm-hmm. and I know he's going to make Alex cut this out, mm-hmm. but the number of people who've been more successful on Kickstarter than Max mm-hmm. would fit into a Japanese car. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is all going to get edited out. Anyway, mm. this woman, uh, this woman emailed me. She was very nice. But I, re- I truly, I mean, I really hate when people are full of um, a lot of business uh, ha- t- t- tips and tricks yeah, like and hacks. One surprising trick, hire this consultant. I mean, more or less, right? And and their incentive is, A, I feel like they overcomplicate things and it gives normal people the impression that they can't just go on and do a Kickstarter for a piece of art that they like. And uh, B, I think that it sort of overly commoditizes and, and commerce sizes the whole Kickstarter experience. So it's not just like patrons of art, people who like art connecting with people who make art. It's this whole complicated, you know, business transaction. So, you know, I went on this, I agreed to do this podcast. I agree to do almost any Kickstarter podcast that people want me to do. I'm happy to go on and I feel strongly about it. I'm happy to go on and talk about it. And in a way, I mean, listen, like I could do the podcast where people agree with me all day, but those people already agree with me. So in a way, this is like the time when it comes the most because it's like, right. here's the people who don't agree with me about it. And had a very lovely conversation. I actually went in and I, I was a little like, I had this idea of like, oh, I'm going to go in like John Stewart on um, uh, Crossfire. Right. And I'm going to be like, please stop doing this show. It's like damaging. And and I had I had some couple of like zingers that I thought up and I don't know. I just want. She was. She was sort of ner- like. I was actually. So she was nervous talking to me. And and I, to be honest, I was. I would get nervous before I do interviews, and I was a, a little nervous doing it. And it just didn't come out like that. Like I didn't go in there. No, and it was, I wasn't it was like very all, civil, and you you were very civil with each other. Yeah, I, I didn't go in there and, I, I, and and like yell at her or anything. But I think I, I I almost never like anything that I say about anything or or any interviews or any public things that I do. It's just sort of a, a thing I wind up having to do for the company. But I thought this was a good interview. I actually was very happy to share this, and, and I thought I uh, comported myself well, and we had a nice conversation. It was it was really good, <clears throat> and I you know the truth is like you know information shouldn't hurt. That podcast may not comport. Let's put it this way: the person who listens to that podcast for hot tips and tricks on Kickstarter uh, hacking, it, it may not be the thing that they want to hear. It may not even be the thing they need to hear. But information shouldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. And hearing a point of view from a credible person about something that you think you know a lot about, that can be really refreshing. I mean, some of my I don't want to say favorite, but some of my most interesting interviews I've done handful over the years have been with people who wanted to take the productivity thing in exactly the direction that I was running away from. And so I use that as an opportunity not to be unkind or uncivil to that individual, but to use that as a platform to say sort of what, what you're saying here, like, hey, you know, let's remember why we're doing this. Let's remember, you know, first principles, Clarice, like, let's look at what this thing is for 
and like let's let's not overcomplicate it, but like let's in particular make sure that you know we're following a certain kind of Hippocratic oath with this. Like if you're trying to be productive, for example, don't push people in a direction that discourages them from actually producing work, and instead funnels them into an area where they're seeking lots of advice from people like you. And you know, and so does she have tips that help people? I'll bet. I'll bet there are people who are in the zero to twentieth percentile of successful Kickstarters who have things they can learn from her. But I, I wonder how many people that are in the top five or ten percent have succeeded with the things that she's talking about. Right? You know what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to be unkind. It's just that certain kinds of help are helpful at different times and to different people. But like the confidence of somebody who's trying to give you what feels like very concrete information about something that's really very slippery or different from what they're saying. Like in your case, you you were saying, I think very lucidly, like let's, let's use this for what it's for. Like, yeah, there are, there are, there is a network effect to this. There are benefits to this, but like, you know, let's not try and fool people or, or play tricks that not only end up harming the customer, but end up making me hate myself and produce something that's not as good. Or how about this? Go work hard for a year before you ask for money. Oh my God. Is that, can I do that <laughs> right. on Quickstarter? Right. Yeah. You could do that on Kickstarter. You can go work really hard for a long time before you decide it's time to ask for money. Yeah, and, and um, I have a, I have a little bit of a, a deep cut here for uh, some of our listeners um, who may not have heard this, but a, a lot of the things I said on that podcast, uh, I am basically cribbing from a South by Southwest panel that you did with John Gruber back in 2008 called yeah. uh, How to, 149 <laughs> Surprising Ways to Turbocharge Your Blog with Credibility, um, where you guys talked about many of the same themes with regards to uh, blogging. And, and uh Man, did I hear that at a, at an important time in my life, and and that um, that was an that was a that was a that was an important talk for me. That was a talk that that helped me form a lot of my own views about this kind of stuff. So I I deeply appreciate you saying that. I I really like that we did that. Um, I like that it turned out as well as it did, and and it still has resonance for me. Like it's something that 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 I need to hear. And you know, one one thing, one value of the court jester in these kinds of transactions is, and something I'll I'll frequently find myself saying when I'm reaching the end of my rope or feeling like I'm like you know, yelling into the ocean is that, you know, look, like there are so many people out there who will give you a certain kind of advice in a certain kind of way about a certain kind of thing. And, you know, not, not, not to get too Wachowskis here, but like they benefit from you mostly seeking out more of that information. They do not benefit from you having a paradigmatic rethinking of why and how you're doing what you do, because then you don't need that anymore. And you realize that sometimes you have to sit your ass down on a chair and work really hard, or you've got to, you've got to take some point of view. I guess all I'm trying to say is that I think sometimes buried in all the noise can be somebody who seems like they're deliberately trying to be a little bit thorny, but are actually trying to tell you, no, like the game as it's being presented to you here is not going to suit you well in the long run. So I think that's a voice that's useful to hear sometimes. Yeah, and, and also like <clears throat> if the thing motivating you, you know, much like what, what you guys were talking about with blogging, like I feel this way about about making, um, you know, creative projects on Kickstarter. If the thing motivating you to get into the game is to sort of trick trick people and use these tips and tricks and get an audience and and um, uh, you know this this sort of like uh, gleeful manipulation of the public by by using these like insider tricks. Is that going to sustain you doing a good job at it for a really long time? Like, how quick does that wear thin where then you're just doing a bunch of tricks? Like, why ha why have the money? Why have an audience? Like, why have all that stuff if you have nothing to say and nothing to make? It's funny how Rubik's Cubes have become kind of 
I don't know if popular is exactly right, but like when I was on the Joko cruise, like Jonathan Colton was, was like constantly doing a Rubik's Cube. And he was really, really fast at it. When Rubik's Cubes first came out that I was aware of in maybe 1982, um, there were lots of books about how to beat the Rubik's Cube. And I eventually could do a Rubik's Cube. It's not a record by today's standards, but I learned you could like take it apart and put it together with Vaseline and make it go faster. And you could do all these tricks. And I eventually got to where I could solve a Rubik's Cube and, you know, what, a couple minutes, or like really fast, like super fast. But you know what the very first trick they show you in the book is? is how to take the Rubik's Cube apart and put it back together so that you don't actually have to solve it. It's a very Kobayashi Maru, ha-ha kind of thing. But like, you know, the, the thing is, yeah, you did just solve the Rubik's Cube, and congratulations on the Kobayashi Maru component. But like, the reason people would admire you for doing that is your ability to, to, to know the skills that pay the bills, not the fact that you have a screwdriver in five minutes. And I think that's that's I think that's kind of related to the point that you're making is like, do you want to be admired by the people who think you solved a Rubik's Cube because you took it apart and put it back together? Like uh, then now you're entering into a new kind of career where it's going to be about finding new ways to trick people and just find a new thing that somebody else hasn't figured out that you're doing yet. Right. <clears throat> Man, that's a that's a very good way to put it. And it is um, not to uh, force it too much, but it is uh, it, it is kind of making me think of the uh, the the Top Chef showdown this week, because I think um let me see if I can't find my um, my notes here, but I think you did see that um, that 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 dichotomy between like Amar and Jeremy, where Amar is doing rustic food that's like very flavor forward and you know very soulful, and Jeremy is doing very technical you know molecular gastronomy type food that's very intellectual. And Amar, as Amar put it, there's the difference between good and interesting food. Yeah, and his work has been uh, commended as being highly intellectual. Didn't somebody refer to his food as intellectual? I think they point? did, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that's just one of the many reasons that Amar, at the end of the day, that he took home the win. Uh, as, as it should be. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I'm, I'm so glad Amar won. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Do you think this means Trump is going to win? Oh, if, Jeremy, if Jeremy wins, right? everyone's like, well, the guy has his flaws, but like, he's a winner. <laughs> He says what I think. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, it's straight talk. Yeah. Boy. I mean, he say, he's saying all the racist stuff that I think all the time. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Just says it right out loud. Uh, you know, in the past, I've had a lot of reckons and some, some really terrible <laughs> ideas that don't have any evidence in reality, but I've never really had a way to articulate it well. Right. I had the dignity, I had the propriety to not say it out loud, you know? It's like Did there's you, some stupid uh, ideas you keep to yourself. Trump comes right out and says it. Um, I know you like Star Treks. Did Did you see George Takei's Trump impersonation? No, is it good? Oh my god! We got to put this in the show notes. Okay, uh, marker here for a second. Let me see if I can find this. <clears throat> Has anyone seen the Takei documentary? Uh, to uh, I think it's called To Be Takei. Mm -hmm. So good. Okay. Did you like it? I yes, but I don't know if it's a good movie or if I just really liked George so Takei. Veronica <laughs> and I went and saw it at the um, Madison Film Fest. So we saw it with a big audience, and people were cheering and laughing. Like, I think people – I think it's a good movie. I think people were really into it. Okay, so you can cut this out. This is kind of long. But can I read this to you? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think this is off of Facebook. I saw it in a screen grab. So this is George Takei. Um, someone asked Donald Trump the question, what is 2 plus 2? And this is so George Takei writes this. Uh, I have to say a lot of people have been asking this question. Uh, no, no, really. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people come to me and they ask me, well, they say, what's, uh, what's 2 plus 2? And I tell them, look, we know what 2 plus 2 is. We've had almost eight years of the worst kind of math you can imagine. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. Addition and subtraction of the ones and the twos and the threes. It's terrible. It's just terrible. 
Look, if you want to know what 2 plus 2 is, do you want to know what 2 plus 2 is? I'll tell you. First of all, the number 2, by the way, I love the number 2. It's probably my favorite number. No, no, it is my favorite number. You know what? It's probably more like the number 2, but with, with a lot of zeros behind it. A lot, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I mean, if I'm being honest, like a lot of zeros. Except for, for Marco Rubio. Now, he's a zero, and I don't like that. Though, uh, I probably, probably shouldn't say that. He's a nice guy, but he's like, one zero one zero 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 one zero one on and on like that. He's like a computer. <laughs> You know what I mean? He's like a computer. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, so, so we have all these numbers, and we can add them and subtract them and, and add them, times, times them even. Did you know that? We can times or divide them. And, and they don't tell you that. And I'll tell you, no one is better at the orders of operations than me. You wouldn't believe it. We're going to be in the, in the best 2.2, 2 plus 2, believe me. <laughs> so all these other people doing math, disgusting. <laughs> That's fun. You know what that is? That's fucking good writing. That is good. That is writing. really funny. I um, I, I could hear the entire thing in his voice. Oh yeah, I really hope that he becomes like. I, it's amazing to me. Like what's like this is one of the things that's so weird about Trump is like <clears throat> it took a long time. I think it took a long time in the Clinton administration for Bill Clinton to become the cartoon of Bill Clinton. Maybe that's just my perception because I was I was younger when he was president. But it seemed like by the end of his president presidency there was this like there was this like easy punchline cartoon that we all agreed on of like the the bill clinton caricature of like the biting biting his lip and doing the little thumb yeah and like his his over his exaggerated accent and all of that it was like you know when you watch like snl from that era they they hadn't honed in on it until late in the presidency same with george w bush it took a long time for the 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 universal political cartoon like caricature of like george w bush as this like little monkey idiot guy you know, who always misspoke um, and, you know, was like uh, Cheney was pulling the strings, like all of those things like that. That took a while to congeal. Obama, I think we haven't figured it out yet. I think Obama's a hard guy to make fun of. Um, but uh, Trump is interesting to me because he was a caricature. He's been a caricature for literally my entire life. Yeah. I mean, he has been a punchline and a reality TV show and a, and a joke forever. And it's like, it's so interesting. It's like, this is a spot on caricature of Donald Trump and the way he speaks. But like, is it going to have any impact? Is it going to, is that going to sort of deflate his power in any way? I know. I know. Yeah. Obama's a famously tough one. That's been a very tough one to do on SNL. I know a variety of different people have tried and gotten some aspect, but it doesn't really have that feeling. Yeah. We shouldn't talk about politics. Our ratings are going to go down. But, you know, I've said it before. But I think it is like the leftovers. I, th- I think it's a what, – what Trump is is a, is a mirror in some ways. Like, you know, obviously there are people, notwithstanding his incredibly low, you know, approval numbers or whatever, it's going to be what happens as a result of Trump that shows you what a terrible country we are. There's always going to be terrible people. It's how we react to it that's going to be really telling. I... That's depressing. I agree. I had uh, I have one more thing for the show notes, and uh, yeah. also I, I think you'll I think you'll dig this. Let me see if I can find uh, the link is on my Twitter, but it was a uh, a 1998 New Yorker profile of Donald Trump that I think was oh, pretty right. well read when it came out. I think it, people, people you know it, I think it's been popular in the past, but the New Yorker just like republished it, and it is an amazing profile of him um, for a different period of his life where he wasn't trying to have the I think the public uh, legitimacy that he is now. But it's a deep dive into his finances and his investment history, as well as like just some some sort of like trying to figure out what what is this guy's character. But that was a very in a, that is a revealing article with access that he does not allow now, and I definitely recommend that. Um, Trump solo in the New Yorker. That's the one. <clears throat> Got it in notes. Definitely recommend that for anyone who uh, wants a little bit of like a like a deep dive into Trump. It's a long, uh, quite a long piece too. Very good. 
Have either have either of you ever seen The Apprentice or The Celebrity Apprentice? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't. Is, uh, yeah, I think I saw it. Has uh, Amorosa was that the lady? Uh, I I have no idea. Um, but I just remembered that George Takei was was on the Celebrity Apprentice, which makes that whole bit just a lot funnier. But uh, I I watched like three seasons of that episode. Uh, I think actually during college because it was like the one thing that I could. Sh- share with my mom like yeah we're gonna watch a show um and ever i finally like caved and started watching speeches and like you know to give in to anxiety and fear and wow there's it's just the exact same person on this terrible tv show and like bullying people on a stage and it's very frightening yeah i keep trying not to think about it well, now we've... Uh, now I'm sad. Okay. I'm now we've really... Too good, too good, too chefs for me. <laughs> My drums are tired. Um, wow, that's so sad. Why is that making me so sad? <laughs> we are in Las Vegas. It's exciting. There's two people left, and we're pretty sure we know who's going to win this one, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tom, let's go to my notes here that I don't take. Uh, let's see. Um, Tom says... Uh, oh, Tom comes in to make breakfast for everyone. He's, that was cool. That was a nice touch. He says he has never cooked a meal in 13 seasons of Top Chef. I don't know if that's quite true, but... I don't think that's true. Yeah, but whatever. But wasn't there a challenge where he had to... Where he set the par of, like, he cooked a fish in, like... There was one particular quick fire where he showed that he could make... It was something like... Was it lobster? There was something, that, like, kind of hard to make that he did in an astonishingly, astonishingly small amount of time. And then I think that was the time they had to try and do it in. I remember that. And you know what I remember was one of the contestants... Tom... Got, uh, cleaned a fish, gutted a fish, cleaned it, made a fish dish, and served it in like four minutes or something. And then all the chefs had that much time to make their own dish with whatever was in the kitchen or whatever. And I, what impressed me about that challenge is I remember one of the contestants, instead of everyone went a beeline for the pantry, except for one of the contestants, ran up to Tom's station and grabbed the rest of his fish because it was already broken down. I thought that was like one of the smartest things I've ever seen on oh, Top Chef. Oh, I love stuff like that. Yeah, isn't that great? So great. All right. Let's see here. So uh, Tom cooks a uh, breakfast for everyone. or uh, It wasn't clear. It was ambiguous as to what, di- what meal it was. It was like a dinner. And he cooked with a lot of his favorite ingredients. So I think there was like caviar and pasta and some stuff like that. Fresh pasta. But it's more of the stuff we love. You know, I feel like. I mean, I'll speak for myself. More of the stuff of like, you know, seeing like close-ups of making the, making the dough. And I turn it over this way to keep it dry. And like... I- is that super useful? I don't know, but I enjoy those little those little looks into that. Absolutely, as well as like I just like seeing the contestants enjoy food and talk about food and 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 be good at something together where it's not necessarily part of the competition. Like those are some of my favorite moments of the season are, you know, before the challenge starts on Last Chance Kitchen or, you know, back in the house or something like that. Like there there have been some really nice little moments like that. Like that that meal they had at um in San Francisco with the chef. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at uh, Keller's Place. At Thomas Keller's Place. That was a nice, a really nice moment. Um, so basically, the, the Tom tells them the challenge is going to be pick four ingredients that you want to highlight, four of your favorite ingredients, and that's going to be the basis of your meal. The next morning, they show up at the um, Top Chef Kitchen where they're um, doing the, uh, uh, the finale. Jeremy and Amar each get to pick two sous chefs from the uh, eliminated contestants. Amar is first. He picks Kwame, which is a great pick. Jeremy yep. picks Carl, also probably also a pretty good pick. Although then Amar comes back and picks Marjorie, 
because he wants bread and stuff. Right, exactly. Because he's like, oh, well, Marjorie can make bread and dessert. And I was like, wow, Jeremy really should have picked Marjorie. Like, actually, Amar should have picked Jeremy, uh, Marjorie first. Marjorie was the best pick of the sous chef because she knows how to do stuff that... Um, well, and she's smart. She's smart and, like, you know, in a clutch. She's really good. Yeah, and she has she has a skill set the rest of the, the chefs don't, don't necessarily have. And, and just, like, a great temperament in the kitchen. Like, And she was in the finale. Like, she's one of the best chefs. Anyhow, uh, and then uh, Jeremy picked Angela, which I thought was a weird pick at the end. Um, because she's good at prep. She is fast, and she's good at prep. Just a we- only a weird pick in that she did not make it very far into the season. But she's been picked, I think, for every like every time they've brought the chefs back, back out. Uh, she's picked first or second almost every time just because she has like no ego because she, she's the one who's right out of culinary school, right? right. Um, so, you know, you just want someone who can cut fast i guess yeah the other chefs must i mean this is where it sort of starts to break down for us as viewers of like we only get to see what we see and they painted a picture of um angela i mean her sort of on her the things i have on my note card about angela as a viewer are like she has a temper and she's hard to work with and she got into fights with people um, we don't get to see that she's like ridiculously fast prep cook or really technically yeah. skilled, right? Like, yeah, we kind of pondered about this because I, I seem to remember us having some talk about the casting of her as the young, you know, immature, hot-headed one, you know, who was who was like, you know, going to be a problem or whatever. Um, boy, can you imagine being uh, Renee, being Lumpy Space Princess? Oh, poor. She's, had, she's had to be there for this whole time. <laughs> poor Renee. Ugh. Uh, let's see. So they uh, get four specific ingredients of their choice that uh, inspire, quote unquote, inspire them. I know you love, uh, you know, uh, where people get their inspiration from. Love inspiration. A lot of, uh, I mean, a veritable Pinterest board of inspiration on this challenge. <laughs> uh, and their challenge is to uh, serve a full dining room of uh, diners for dinner, which uh, I, so I watched with Veronica and we had some questions. Did every diner in the dining room get every course of both meals? That's a lot of cooking. It's all, it was, it must have been, well, first of all, that's a lot to eat, a, a lot of food to eat, but also just how could they prepare that much food? We, we were speculating that only the judges got both plates and that the rest of the dining room got just one or the other. I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Alex? I, I assume. You, you're good at these things. You're good at these inside baseball things. Uh, yeah, it was hard, though, because I fell. I, I watched this episode twice, but I also fell asleep um, <laughs> both times <laughs> and had to start over. Um, I think this is why people like <laughs> our insight into Top Chef, according <laughs> to the comments. Yeah, yeah but yeah. but if you notice there, uh, like during Restaurant Wars, they'll typically go back to the same people and try um, try to have like symmetry with the comments. Um and that did not happen. Not it didn't even happen once in this episode. So yeah, I think they just kind of divided up uh, by like where their families were sitting. Probably, I yeah. think I, that I would agree with that. Like most of the people were there on either Team Amar or Team Jeremy, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then those people just got that menu or the other. That makes sense. So the other big twist was um, when they show up to cook. Uh, Jeremy's mentor Jean George, who he's mentioned a few times in the season, is there, and he's going to be a sous chef for Jeremy as well as a judge in the challenge. And Amar's mentor, Charlie Palmer, is going to be there um, and uh, be a, uh, Amar's sous chef and, and be a judge of the challenge. Although it does come out that Charlie Palmer and Amar have sort of a strained relationship. And this was this was really interesting because, like, a couple mm-hmm. times throughout the season, Amar mentioned his girlfriend that he, he was sort of, like, pining for. But then it came up mid-season that the girlfriend left him. And uh, I think because he didn't have any time for her. 
and that he was going to try and like win her back. But it was the thing where he had been mentioned her name a number of times. Like he was like, oh, this dish I'm cooking, it reminds me of my girlfriend or whatever. And you assume they're together and they're not, you know, sort of this strained relationship. And then it turned out to be the same thing with Charlie Palmer, where Amar has mentioned Charlie Palmer uh, several times uh, as the season's gone by. But it turns out they actually have a pretty strained relationship and... I think what was Charlie's Palmer, he said there's a difference between, uh, he said, with regards to Amar, he said, there's a difference between being competent, confident and being a complete asshole, and Amar has crossed that right. line. Yeah, I didn't get the feeling that it was all settled, exactly. No, I did not either. I bet the ALS, ALS guy didn't even like him. <laughs> That's a very brave opinion, Merlin. Thank you. <laughs> That's a bold stance. Honk twice for a hate Amar. <laughs> Wait, where's my little... Uh, uh. There we go. Uh, uh, let's see here. Um, uh, what did I, uh, what did I write down here? Oh yeah. So, but here's my other thing was how cool, considering that their relationship was very strained, how cool was it of Charlie Palmer to come out and do this? The guy, ah, it was, it was, it was super It would cool. have been the easiest thing in the world for this guy to say, sorry, not interested. These are the kind of little things that I, that I really like on Top Chef. I like these, these kinds of things, even if it is like a little bit contrived, like I, I think that's super cool. And again, getting to see people work together in the kitchen and I, you know, I like those kind of like little, uh, power exchange things where somebody who's in a position of authority and uh, as they constantly say on the show is a legend is working amongst everybody else. And that's fun to watch. I totally agree. That was my favorite part of this entire episode was watching uh, Jean George uh, work for Jeremy. Jean George was a monster. Like he got so much stuff done, all the stuff he touched, everyone in judging commented on, on how good it was. Like that is the, I, I can't say, I just cannot tell you how much that makes me respect that guy of like, you know, the guy has uh, – he has an empire of restaurants and he's this very highly regarded celebrity chef. But he can get in the kitchen and set aside his ego and be the sous chef for a Top Chef contestant and kill it. Not just like phone it in and show up but like absolutely killed service. I have to I have to confess that I'm a sucker for stuff like that even if it – I don't know. But even if it's not 100 percent correct. I mean it's such an inversion. This kind of goes back to our tips and tricks problem. It's kind of an inversion. Like if, if you're somebody – it's always interesting to me. Again, we love the mise en place challenges because you can see the people who have done this thing so many times and especially if they've done it recently. But in any case, but somebody who's like not afraid to what? Pick up a broom. Like somebody who's got the ability to go and do what's necessary in the brigade today because this is what we need to do. Where it isn't really all about necessarily about the status in terms of your title, but it's about that ability to do what you have to do to get it done. That's, you know, anytime you can see that, I think that's a good message to send people too. I I totally agree. And I, I got, mu- I got um, much the same impression of Charlie Palmer, but I don't think he – I think Charlie Palmer did not sort of destroy the service for Amar in the same way that uh, Jean George did for Jeremy, and I think Amar had a couple of like execution mistakes, and I, I couldn't help but wonder: Do you think Charlie Palmer saw some of that stuff kind of going wrong? The fish, the the cook on the fish, and the lamb going a little bit wrong, and uh, you know didn't say anything, or he you know he 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 could have spoken up, but he didn't. I wondered that uh, because, yeah, I mean, I'm always trying to sniff those little things out because those are the things that kind of fascinate and obsess me. I'm not so sure. Like I say, I don't know. I, all I can say is I got a vibe <laughs> that maybe this wasn't completely settled yet. I don't know if he was undermining him exactly. But. Well, it's not, it's, it's not undermining. It's just, you know, you see something going wrong and it's much easier and in some ways expected to not say anything, to be like, well, you're the executive chef. I'm going to follow, follow my orders. Um, right. 
you know, and I got the sense that if um, John George saw something going wrong, he would have pulled Jeremy aside and said, listen, take it or leave it. But here's what I here's the concern I see about this. And I don't know that Charlie Palmer would have done the same for Amar. Uh, so let's see. Amar's four ingredients were tuna, sea urchin, lamb and coconut. Um, so he said his food was all about bold flavors. Uh, that's what we love on the show. I mean, we're here for the bold flavors. From the beginning, we've been here for the bold flavors, the let's be honest. Big, bold flavors. Uh, rustic food, perfectly executed. And he made something called a coconut financier, which is, I think that's, is that the person who does your taxes? I think so. It's somebody who does something, it's a French person that touches your money. That's, is that the person when you have the, when you're playing poker and you're wearing the little hat to count the, the poker dealer cards out? Is that, oh, the, is yeah, that a financier? Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. It's like a, it's like a remoulade or a croupier. I think that's a, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Similar kind of thing. Yeah. No, those are fish. No, I think you're thinking of pasta pudinesca. Okay. No, that's the. I think you're thinking of the uh, uh, Prime Minister of Russia. <laughs> I'll let you have that one. Okay. That's a good one. Thank you. Uh, it's right there in the name, Putin. Putin. Um, Do you think he cooks shirtless? I don't think that man has cooked food in uh, years. <laughs> I guarantee you, he has like a poison taster, though. <laughs> he should. Yeah. He's poisoning other people. That guy's. That guy's no good. Yeah. I don't want to get in trouble with him. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, the official stance of all, uh, but on behalf of all of us at Top Scallops, yes. all glory to uh, wonderful leader Vladimir Putin. Uh, praise oh, be his terrific. name for a thousand <laughs> generations. I could watch that guy pretend to ride a horse all day. Yeah, hunt bears, deep you sea dive. Fair, Strong like bull. He's an attractive man. Uh, speaking of our uh, sponsor for this, well, here, let's talk about Jeremy's menu and then we'll do our sponsor break. We forgot about that. Uh, Jeremy's four foods. He made uh, foie gras, duck, branzino, which is a fish, and cheese. I thought cheese <laughs> was a curious pick. Stop introducing cheese. You know, we got we got to quit, quit putting cheese into wackadoodle places. But it, cheese is not an ingredient. I mean, right? It, cheese is a category. Oh, huh? You can't have cheese. That's like saying, and my final ingredient is meat. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, mm. I see what you're saying. I don't know. I mean, sure. I mean, foie gras, duck, bronzino, and cheese. Yeah. And Jeremy says his cooking is all about pushing the envelope with technique. So that's the uh, that is the showdown for the final duel of this season of Top Chef. And uh, I think let's take a quick uh, sponsor break and uh, thanks our uh, sponsors for this final episode of Top Scalps, or possibly penultimate episode of uh, Top Scalp season. Well, we'll don't we, talk like that. Well, we gotta we gotta we gotta figure out what we're doing. All right. Yeah, but uh, certainly no more Top Scalps for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, I just want to uh, thank our sponsor for this episode and every episode of this season, uh, Backblaze. Backblaze is the unlimited, unthrottled backup solution for your Mac or PC. Uh, this is an amazing service. Merlin and I have said a lot of kind things about them um, throughout the season. But probably uh, uh, one of the kindest things I can say is uh, when we went to them and we were like, hey, we're thinking about doing this crazy podcast and who knows if anyone's going to listen to it. But you know, we love the service. Would you guys consider sponsoring it? No questions asked. They were like, we are in. How do we make this thing happen? So a wonderful company as well as a wonderful product. Um, I spoke with our friend Yev at Backblaze and asked him some questions about the service. Did we talk to Yev this week, Alex? We did. And this is my favorite question. What was the question? Uh, It's about Blackblaze. Blackblaze. That's right. We asked Yev what happens when we mispronounce the service (laughs) as Blackblaze. And he told us the uh, the whole story. So uh, we will hear that now. Um, so I, I know uh, <clears throat> at least at least once or twice, uh, as Alex has been editing the podcast, she's had to uh, correct my my at my read for Backblaze because sometimes I will sort of slip and uh, tell people to go to blackblaze.com. 
And uh, my understanding, uh, I saw a blog post that you uh, did about this. My understanding is that blackblaze.com is a very different website than backblaze.com. Uh, it isn't anymore because we had to buy it. <laughs> but, but yes, um, so you're not alone, Max. Uh, John Gruber, who's another uh, podcaster, uh, friend uh, of mine. He, uh, he has a little blog about computers, is my understanding. Yeah, he okay. little little known blog, okay. uh, you know, very few readers, but oh, he's a nice cute. guy. So cute. Good uh, for him. You know what? Good yeah. for him. What was that? Good for him. You know? Yeah. No. He's, yeah. You know, he's, he's good a good guy. John. He's trying to trying to make it in this world. <laughs> um, so he he mis he mispronounced it as well, and it, it was funny because for a couple of years we kept getting like these weird trickles of support emails that were like, "Hey, I tried to go to your website, but it was blocked at my office," and we're like, "What? That's so weird." Um, you know, sorry about that. And eventually we were able to pinpoint it. And then John misread it on his podcast, which uh, sent us a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting feedback uh, from folks trying to get to us as well. And we realized that people were going to blackblaze.com. And so dutifully, I, you know, we went to blackblaze.com to see where people were ending up. And it was a black gay porn site. <laughs> Which is probably the complete polar opposite of what they're looking for uh, in an online backup service. They might be storing black gay porn, uh, but we don't judge, right? Because we don't know what they have on their computers. So the it ended up um, over the next couple of years, uh, there was nothing really we could do. We offered to buy it, um, and then it wasn't available, or it was just like way too expensive because they were getting a lot of uh, accidental traffic from people trying to reach us. Uh, but eventually, and unfortunately, that website went out of business, and we were able to buy uh, the domain. And so now, if you go to blackblaze.com, it'll actually redirect uh, to the right location. But um, I also never thought that we would buy a porn site working at this company. So there's lots of uh, lots of entertaining things that happen when you work in startup land. All right. Our thanks again to our sponsor, Backblaze. Blackblaze. 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 They're available. Blackblaze. You can find out more at blackblaze.com. <laughs> and for listeners of the Top Scalps podcast, they are offering a free trial of, of uh, Blackblaze at backblaze.com <laughs> slash scallops. And uh, seriously, I, like honest to God, what are we like 14 episodes in? You know, what do you do if you're not on? Ba- I mean, just would you please just try it? Yeah. I mean, you're going to hear this message until you use it. You won't hear this anymore once you once you use it. I'll be honest. Uh, let me just be frank. Merlin and yeah. I wouldn't have a sponsor for this show. We're not doing this for the sponsor money. We wouldn't have a sponsor for the show if it was shitty. They're so good. Backblaze is so good. If you're not sold by all of the nice things we've said about them, <laughs> you're good at this. I'm sorry, but it's, I'm not. Hey, listen, <laughs> listen. If this thing was a piece of shit, yeah. I would be the first one to tell you because I could. Frankly, I could use the money. Yeah. No. I listen. I'm just saying, like, we we would have had nothing, right? It's like... I was using and have continued to use Backblaze. Long before this, I, I was a paying user, and I will be in perpetuity. And uh, I, I, I want to add in my own note of gratitude for them uh, taking a chance on a on a scrappy uh, podcast that's definitely about Top Chef. Uh, but I'm also just grateful for their service. It is, please go out and try this. Try this for yourself. See how easy this is to deal with. And you know what? Don't thank us now. Thank us in a year or two on that day when you really, really need it. And there's one place where that precious document is, which is ain't on your computer, because that's what Backblaze will do for you. So please give it a shot. Yeah, and it's uh, it's one of those things, too, like, um, uh, this is my, my final pitch for people, but it's one of those things of, like, once you set up Backblaze and you, and you play with it and you see how little there is to do and how well it works and how reliable it is, especially if you've ever had occasion to need Backblaze, it's one of these things, like, you'll start recommending to everyone, like, everyone 
who I help them with their computer in any way, my parents, my grandparents, friends, people who I'm, you know, the person they go to for tech advice, I always, 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 always set them up with Backblaze. And it always comes to pay, pay off at some point when something horrible happens and they need this, they overwrote this one file or they screwed something up or they lose their laptop or something gets stolen and uh, all their stuff is there. And then you're a genius because you made them pay $5 a month for this thing. All right. Anyway, thank you, Backblaze, uh, for sponsoring this. And uh, hopefully uh, this will just be the, the first of many projects that they can give us money for. All right. Where are we on the uh, – we're talking about the uh, financier, Vladimir Putin, foie gras, mm-hmm. cheese, Horses, pushing the envelope cheese, with technique. Bathrobes. Donald Trump. Um, Watch this one twice. Watch this one twice. No, I don't remember a single bit of it. I mean, it was a very – in some ways, it was. it's one of the more boring episodes of the season. It was very straightforward. There was a long cook – where they all they cooked and you got to see a lot of things almost go wrong and then they didn't and you see everyone bantering in the kitchen and then they um, serve the food and it's a long sequence of people eating the food and commenting on the minute you know flaws. It was and- all in the service of I think it was all in the service in terms of the dramaturgy. It was all in the service of leading up to the inevitable. Boy, was this ever close! <clears throat> Did you get the sense? So every year on on the conclusion on the finale of Top Chef, they always do this thing of like this. Oh, it was the closest. Top Chef yet, and we've never had a decision that was this close. And right. I, I often buy it. I guess every year I feel like they, they sell that more and more, and I, I feel like it's true. But did you buy it this year? I don't know. I Maybe I'm trying to figure out how much of this was my own. I don't dislike Jeremy. I mean, uh, Jeremy would probably not like me. He's We're not the same kind of bros. We're different sorts of bros. I'm a sort of bro that rarely uses the word bro. But Amar, like, you know, Cinderella story, tears in his eyes, I guess. Like, you got you got Amar coming along, and I was kind of pulling for the guy. And I, I didn't taste the food. But from looking at the food, I don't know. I kind of felt like Amar did pretty well. We are not the only people speculating about this. There's, spe- there's a lot of chatter and speculation that, as you get on the internet. Where, where, have, you gone, where have you gone for, spe- for chatter? I don't know where to go for Top Chef chatter. Oh, you never look at the document. I put a bunch <laughs> of notes in here. I always put in notes to like recap. Ooh, let me open like the that. document. Yeah, okay. it's over on Google. Okay. I, I are you referring to the Uproxx article, the Top Chef finale, a robbery or the predictable outcome? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean they didn't actually go into that much, but I mean I'm given to believe that there is a little bit of you know hand wringing on the streets about people going like, hmm, I don't know, Amar looks like he did pretty well, like. I certainly thought if I had to pick one of those meals based on all the information I had, if I had to pick one of those meals to eat, I would have picked a Mars. But if I, if I plucked that honey bubble, buddy, I'd be walking away. No, thank you. No honey bubble for me, thanks. Oh, you weren't into it. Interesting. Sugar water bubble? Yeah, I don't know. It's a cute idea, but, you know. I, uh, I, I, I generally – so I've had both of these sort of kinds of food of like really soul food, like well-executed rustic food. And, uh, you know, really smart, uh, like, like what they said, intellectual food that's sort of molecular gastronomy and chemistry and, and it's very, very thinky. And I 10 times out of 10 will go with the rustic food. To me, that's like I don't want to think about the order to eat it in. I'm not interested in having a fussy experience most of the time. Like I'm kind of there for the holistic experience of like sitting with people around the table and, and digging into this food and, and getting into it. And, you know, the right. big shared plates is, is one aspect of it, but also just like. You want that you want I, I'm I'm looking for that like that something authentic and something that's just like a punch in the face of like, wow, that is flavorful, like this uh, bowl of uh, Internet ramen that I had. And uh, a lot of times with the molecular gastronomy stuff, it's lacking because it's more of the idea of the food than uh, than the actual quality. Yeah. Well, and this is if there's anything that's been a theme on here, uh, one of the themes for us has been, at least for me, it has been the whole like I sometimes 
I often feel like there are, for lack of a better word, a double standard in place or inconsistency in, in what's being applied. What, what is less clear to me than ever is what constitutes a great top chef or what constitutes a great top chef dish. And that's never seen quite as elusive as it does to me right now. And I mean, part of that difficulty is I've never tasted the food. And if I did taste the food, I'm not fancy enough to be able to appreciate whether this was a good uh, uh, plonger or whatever. Uh, like, I don't know. But but I do feel like it's it's starting to, in my for my enjoyment of the show, it's starting to seep in a little bit to my enjoyment of the show that it does feel, it's, it, it's hard for me to understand, like, so we know a great win. We know a great win is when somebody comes from behind, something goes wrong, they do something very interesting, and they, and at least in my mind, they exceed the expectations of the challenge in either qualitatively or quantitatively, right? So if you're able to do something in 10 minutes, that's like the best dish anybody ever had, obviously that's a dinger. Another one would be like, oh, you've reinvented my idea of what could be done with risotto and risotto is hard and people get thrown off for it all the time. I just feel like sometimes like, and this is all in my own head, my own head canon, but like, I feel like more than ever, I'm not really sure what they're looking for in some ways. You know, I mean, it's, if they just had the person who made the best dish and put it on a plate, then, I mean, part of what makes the show the show is that indecisiveness or that moving target. But I feel like it's starting to frustrate me a little bit. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I um, I don't know. In a lot of ways, this is the... I'm, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by this aspect of it, but it's also the least interesting part of Top Chef to me, the gamesmanship and the, the what's better than what aspect of it and the comparative aspect of it. I don't know. Well, and again, like something like the mise en place challenge, which I do feel like they should grade a little bit harder on for what it's worth. But uh, that's fun because we can see, oh, clearly Spike was able to French this uh, ribeye faster than this other person. This person was able to shuck these oysters faster or whatever. Like those are all, there's something, partly what's satisfying about that is seeing somebody using actual physical skills that most of us don't have. That's that's a marvel. That's that's why people watch sports in part. That and the gambling and the drinking. But like you watch this and you get to appreciate somebody that has a skill that you don't. It's at other times where we really are relying on the way it's framed by the hosts and by the production and by all that stuff. And the more and more you're relying on that lens to tell you how the episode or the dish is going, the more you rely on that, the more difficult it is to appreciate it for why we really would enjoy it. Right, right. right. I'd be much more... I mean, I wish that there was more in this episode of the chefs. Um, I like when they talk about their personal stories. I thought that was... an. I mean, I always like hearing that final pitch they make to the judges of like, what does it mean to you to win Top Chef? But even more than that, I always like when they, this is often the most personal meal that they make on the show. And it's the right. meal where they get, there's no constraints and they can sort of do whatever they want. And I really like hearing the chefs get to talk about their thought process of like, oh, how did we conceive of this dish and where did it come from and what was its history? And I felt like it was like a little heavy on the drama and a little light on the information of even just the stuff that we were looking at on screen. Like where, where did this come from? What does it mean to them? Where, where, how did they think of these ideas? Like I love hearing those stories. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I, I'm also I'm struggling a little bit because I'm finding myself saying something contradictory to what I've been saying all along, which is let's have more challenges where they just try and make a great dish. And that's what they did this time. And it was, you know, OK, it was not super interesting. But I mean, I, I'm glad there wasn't any more tricks. But I'm also trying to think about what it is that I really enjoy. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I haven't disliked this season. I, I haven't been like going Ugh, like 
having doing our program, I watch the show more than I'd like to. Like when I'm watching these shows more than once, but it's also funny that it's not like sticking with me as much as other seasons. Mm-hmm. There's not not as many memorable moments. But you know, setting that aside, I'm trying to think about what it is now that we've really been binging on this and talking about it and thinking about it every week for over a dozen weeks, I'm trying to figure out what it is that I really like about this show and what it is that really makes it successful or not successful for me. And I, I'm not sure that I have that much of a clearer idea than the one that I expect the show to have. Well, right. I, I mean, I, if you're the, if you were the producer, if the producers came to you, I feel the same way of like, if the producers came to us and they were like, well, you guys didn't love this season. What changes should we make for next season? Like, I'd be hard pressed to say what it is. It's like, I don't yeah. know. What is it? It's like, I like, I like, I felt this, this whole season felt low stakes to me. In a way that sometimes I, I sometimes I really care about the outcome of Top Chef, and I just really didn't give a shit for most of the season. Um, I didn't feel like that I liked most of the people who were on the season in the same way that I like, you know, a Carla or a Richard Blaze or someone like that. I don't know, just uh, something about it uh, didn't uh, didn't didn't grab me the same way. I know, I, yeah, I, and, uh, but also but also stuff like think about this. I mean, if you think about some of the challenges that there's been, one thing that makes the show interesting when it's interesting is that it is a to some extent diverse um i mean hopefully in terms of you know just what the different people are like and what their skin color is and stuff like that that makes it fun different personality types interesting but another part that makes it this is a super big deal on top dress which is a different show but on this show part of what makes it interesting also is that you could have somebody there most most of those people were executive chefs i think was angelina the only one that wasn't at least a sous chef but i mean you know but the truth is what if you had a challenge early in the season maybe during a quote-unquote double elimination week, like you have 30 minutes to make the best pastry or make the best bread that you can make. Like half half of them would be out. They would not know what to do because you can't count on people to be able to do that. There are not that many things that would but, be but why not? But why not send them, why not do an episode where you send them to a pastry class and they learn something and then you're like, okay, now take what you just learned and make a dish around making a, a bread or something like that. Because then there's no excuse for them not knowing it. Yes. And now it's a test. Now it's a, not a test of memory of did they memorize the recipe or a test of even necessarily experience. But it's a test of character of like how well can they take new information and synthesize it into what they do professionally. Like that's that's a challenge I want to see. Yeah, totally. I, I think I, I think I agree. And, and that's why I mean like I don't know what the name for this would be, but – I would just say, like, I, I, I feel like the ones I enjoy the most are the ones that have, again, to repeat myself, but have some kind of a twist or some kind of a rule or some kind of constraint. But, number one, it, it, doesn't, it isn't cute, that it's not a cute constraint or that it's not like a double twist em up or something like that. But then I, I like the idea of, given this constraint and this desirable outcome, here are the tools and the time that you have available and do the best you can. Like, the golf course thing... Like, fewer of those would be fine with me. I know it's a staple of the show, but does any of the stunt stuff I could do with less of. And one thing I'm finding I miss a little bit is, um, I love this on top dress. I, I find that I really kind of enjoy the picking out ingredients part or the decision-making part of it. And I think you could still have a lot of interesting drama. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe it's that, it's that picking – there's some stuff that's like picking ingredients. I think um, there's some gimmicks where they have to go to a location, a weird location and cook, where you're like, I get it. This is a real scenario that plays into this person's like skill as a chef, and I want to see them in this scenario and see how they do. But I've never thought about a chef and been like, I wonder how they would perform on a cart in a golf course. Like that is not right. part of being a chef. 
right? There was a lot of stuff this season where it was like, well, this has nothing to do with being a good chef or not. Whereas, just to give a counterexample of like a different season of Top Chef, like one time I remember they had to go make sports snacks, like like stadium type snacks outside of a sports stadium and sell them to the public and whoever, oh, and I think it was an awful challenge. So they were making like, they were making like, you know, stomach and liver and organs and stuff like that. And whoever could make the most like stadium type food and sell it out of their cart would win that challenge. That was a great challenge because that is a real scenario where they're where people are making food and serving it to the public. And uh, yeah, like, or they did that one. Was it with the Eagles? They did the um, that one time they did the tailgating challenge. Yeah, that's kind of fun because I mean, think about all the different kinds of food you can prepare in different ways. With the twist, the twist and a half being yes, you're going to be tailgating, and yeah, these this is the audience that you're shooting to please. Like, I don't know. I think that's kind of fun. Yeah, and and even this season, it's like they did so many of these, like, trivial, lightly themed, gimmicky challenges that when it came around to a real challenge that was exciting, like, to me, looking back on the season, I think the – what was that big meat dinner thing called? Oh, uh, beefsteak? The beefsteak, yeah. The beefsteak was one of the more interesting challenges, but the chefs didn't take it seriously. They didn't understand the theme, and they thought it would be like cooking on the golf course of like, right. well, they say you're supposed to do this, but really you're just supposed to make your food and like make it as good as you can. You know, another interesting one. There was one, a couple, we're probably actually doing the next episode now, but I guess this is our, <laughs> our looking back. But I don't know. I just, this season has not really stuck with me. I'm, I'm trying to think of the stuff I did enjoy. There was one not too long ago. Maybe even last season, a couple seasons ago. Do you remember one where it was still early on where there were lots of people? And it was a challenge that involved two teams. And I think it was at like a Revolutionary War site. And remember, they each had to make a dish and come up and go head to head on these different dishes. Oh, that was like last season. I think that was last season. Yeah. But here's what, here's what I like about that. It's got a theme to it. But it's also got some clear understandings to it. It is a team challenge. So you have to do things like decide what you're going to make, who's going to make what. you got to split up those tasks. I think that can be very interesting. And there is room for drama if that's what you enjoy. But then I also kind of like I like the head-to-head component. You know, I could, I could stand more things where, like, you know, where, you know, each of you do a four-course meal just for the judges – a team of eight, I guess that would be Restaurant Wars. But you see what I'm saying? Like, it just bringing it back to like making it so that at judges' table, we don't feel completely out of our element in guessing just based upon what kind of camera shots we'd seen in the last 20 minutes. That's a really, really abstract note. No, totally. And, uh, you know, the other thing that about that Revolutionary War thing that I was just thinking when you brought that up is like, at least my memory of that is it was very high production. Like, I remember it being like a really cool location and it was shot really well. And I felt like it had a, a largeness to it that made it feel cool and important. And a lot of this season did not. This season had like a smallness to it. Like everything was sort of yeah. shot in a in a in a diminutive, amateurish. Amateurs isn't the right word, but it was. It didn't have that that professional. Some of it was. Some was kind of lo-fi. It's something people have talked about since the first episode was that, in particular, I think you mentioned this, Alex. Lots of people have been saying like that the audio quality is not as good, and you gave some reasons for why that might be. I don't have that opinion, but I do think the quality of production was inconsistent. I'm not going to say it was like necessarily bad, but it was very inconsistent to where you would have an in-studio shot where it looked like the best that they've ever shot on here. And other times where it really it felt like you know some kind of a high school cinema verite experiment, which you know lends to the confusion. I still think like maybe there was uh, some producer or casting like fuck up mid-season, like 
there there are sometimes where they my, my favorite part of top chef like it's really easy for me to distinguish why i don't like this season is um because like the people who i thought had the most interesting and i i don't want to say inspiring stories but stories that i would like like to hear from a chef um they got kicked off really early like in the um pilot episode there's always like you know people give their backstory like francis like oh wow she's traveled yeah. over i really want to know like w- what she cooks and why she cooks it and she's gone and then you know philip has all of his reasons but he's philip um but also they don't there just weren't good shots of the food a lot of times like i would see um like you know the, how there's always um sort of like the uh glamour shot of the food um right and that they like I don't know maybe they just use like a different tablecloth this year or something but it was completely different and and sometimes I wouldn't be able to like I know they fancy up that shot a lot um but then I look at like what the judges are eating I'm like wait what what are what's that which is who who's is that um and it was just this weird it was like the producers crossed the 180 line of my brain uh if oh, that good. makes sense like there was just i don't know it it felt weird not being engaged like like top chef i feel is probably much much harder to make than top dress because top dress is lar- like you know uh i i don't they don't, don't talk about fabric as much, like, uh, how it feels. It's like, we can see the result. Um, where, well, and you could, yeah. you could shoot, if you wanted to get a glamour shot of that dress, you could shoot it three days later. Exactly. And it would be neither congealed nor fake. Right. Whereas with this, there were a number of times where I felt like, are they trying to telegraph to me that this was unsuccessful because it really looks like gross and not fresh? And it's like, no, it's probably just a result of, like, production. Yeah, and I feel like that hasn't happened since the second season, which was weird. Hmm. I just say things and then make myself sad. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. <laughs> no, no, I, I, you know you're you're the point of view that I, I think is the most. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the show. <laughs> I I actually totally agree with that because, like, I, Alex, I think you have some insight into like how this is. Um, what's happening? You know, Merlin and I like to speculate of like what's happening behind the scenes and why things are you know there's always a reason of like on a show like this it's a, very little is like serendipitous except for what the or contestants do yeah. yeah it's like it's like if things are planned out or at least they try to plan this stuff out and they try to produce it a certain way with a great deal of care and i think you're the one who has the the expertise on that so very very I mean, interesting not, to hear about it. not really but you can even tell like a, a lot of postseason um or even during the season they will have uh lots of information about like what like how the show was produced and that really wasn't the case this season there was very little that was like leaked um which i wonder because it it, it was confirmed that like ratings are definitely down right we found that out um from the season but uh i i don't know it just feels weird it was so boring and I have to wonder, maybe they, uh, because we saw so little of Jeremy at the beginning, maybe he was the clear winner at the beginning. Um, and like I, w- watching the finale, I actually did think, oh yeah, no, Jeremy's got it. Like, I don't, I don't know why I thought that. Um, maybe I was just sad about, after reading a Trump article. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it did not feel like Amar had any chance in hell. Um, and I think they were trying to sort of make, uh, oh yeah, he's got. He doesn't have his mentor. He is this guy he'd falling out with. Because um, they had that one clip of him saying, um, <clears throat> you know, like, oh, you're not. Uh, you just gotta let your ego 
ego go and cook on the line or something like that and it was uh they they tried to make it like he was um putting mar down but it clearly wasn't that so yeah i think i wonder if maybe uh did i say carl meant jason maybe jason was just too good and it was a disaster from the beginning uh i don't know me like mm-hmm. because the tom does have the final say so maybe it was just tom being like nope we we got to give it to trump trump Tr- trump jason same thing <laughs> jason yeah uh all right so let's oh, see let's... his not, name isn't jason it's jeremy, jeremy god yeah. am i hi what's going on <laughs> uh, <Sinuses>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right well, let's let's i had a couple more notes to, to power through here so as the uh, chefs prepare their service, uh, Amar and uh, Jeremy come out into the uh, restaurant, and they see their families are sitting there. It's very touching for both of them. Jeremy says, uh, I think I feel a tear coming on. <laughs> um, let's see. Amar decided to do risotto, which I thought was really smart. And it was a nice little like pick at Jeremy, who did uh, terrible risotto during Restaurant Wars. So this is like the rare case of risotto, of, of you know... Uh, Making risotto is like daring anonymous to hack you yeah yeah it's like you're just just don't do that yeah it's like i mean you really are like walking right into the like the probably the number one like top chef um curse but uh he this is an example of like the you know i think i think he used the expectations of his to his favor here the low expectations because he did it all minute it was flavored really well he cooked it with stock everything seemed right with this risotto and the judges seemed to respond very positively uh to it um, I felt like the the challenge. Let's see, I'm just going through my notes here. So I felt like in this challenge, it's interesting. Like this cooking style of this challenge of the finale, it really benefits Jeremy and Amar probably more than almost any of the other contestants this season. I felt like they were able to make more of having great ingredients and having lots of time and being fussy. Like both of them are are can be sort of fussy with their plating and what they're doing and the technique. Oh, right, They're both yeah. kind of technical cooks, so I thought that was just interesting to get to see them um, go head-to-head. Um, Amar had his great comment of, like, comparing his food to Jeremy's. There's, like, good versus interesting, which I actually sort of agree with. Amar's food looked good, and Jeremy's looked interesting. And he also pointed out that a lot of Jeremy's techniques are sort of from five years ago, which is, uh, I think, also probably true. And uh, then uh, Jeremy wins after much deliberation between the judges. And uh, my last note says, uh, boy, this was a pretty bad season. My l- last note says uh, Richard looks like a hipster butler from a cartoon show. Hipster <laughs> 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 butler. Guys, guys, guys. Uh, I can only speak for myself, but if you're going to wear a jacket with piping on it, understand I will think you look like you're in The Prisoner. <laughs> a blazer with piping equals equals The Prisoner. <laughs> Who is number one? Uh there's been a note. There's been a note in our document for um, almost the entire show that just says the many looks of Richard Blaze. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to elaborate? We should on knock that? down all of our questions we never got. I to. know. Yeah. Let's. Let's. We got go- lots of good questions here. That I kept putting in that we never got to talk let's, about. Let's do a lightning round. Explain the the many looks of Richard Blaze. Richard Blaze. You. I mean, you can go back and look at photos of him. He used to be just another one of us pudgy kids. You know, he was. Uh, he was a pudgy guy, and uh, and then like on his first season when he was on and. Oh, God, broke my heart. The show made it look like he choked at the last minute. I still have trouble believing that, but whatever. That's what happened. Um, but then, you know, by, even even by the time he came back for uh, All-Stars, which he did win, correct? Yep. Yes. 
he was obviously looking a little bit more like put together. And now, my goodness, he's 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 so fancy. I think that that's quite a transformation, and I, I I guess it must help a lot. I'm not trying to be cynical. It must help a lot if you to to be more telegenic, you know, if if that is your stock and trade. But he's boy, he's got all kinds of different looks. He's he's Macklemore all over the place. <laughs> is that a verb? <clears throat> he's uh he he does seem to be a completely. He's sort of uh putting out a completely different persona on every episode. He's very energetic. Usually very very energetic. Usually very positive. You know, remember that one guy, that one guy who he was a substitute for a while, the English guy, Toby, remember him? Oh, yes. He was the English guy. He, he, uh, he, he always looked like he had, uh, like he had hemorrhoids or something. He had like dark glasses, bald guy, kind of a little homunculus of a man, like a very unpleasant English man. And like, he was always like the go-to mean guy Mm -hmm. for a while. And I feel like Richard, you know, everybody likes Richard and you want to like Richard. So he seems like he's kind of the go-to positive guy in a lot of ways. Even when he puts, when he says things that aren't totally positive, he puts it in a constructive way. But, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. He's one of my all-time favorites. I loved both seasons that he was on. And he, to me, represents like a lot of, not just because he's a dude, but in the same way as Jen, in some ways. This represents what I really love about Top Chef. You know, in Jen's case, like, oh, God, you just want to give her a hug. Like, yeah, uh, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, Richard has always been my favorite personality on Top Chef. Like, I, I like what he has to say about food. Um, I do not like when I see him cooking muffins in a Black & Decker toaster oven um, at the Home Wars show. But uh, I don't know, yeah. Is that, what, is that at the uh, Spectrum Brands booth? Is Spectrum, that what that was? The, on the Spectrum. That's what they call them. On the Spectrum. On the Spectrum. Uh, yeah, and uh, I do like having a former contestant. I also really liked when they had um, – shoot, who was the who's the Italian chef? Um, uh uh, who came back this season? Uh, a con- contestant, or a... you no, know, an old contestant who came back to judge a quick fire this season. Um, but not, but not top scallops guy. Not top scallops guy. No, that was Jamie. Um, no, I can't remember no, her name. Antonia. Antonia. Was... Oh, I like Antonia. Antonia was back, and I always love when they have a former contestant come back on the show because they have a perspective that the judges don't. I mean, they've been through it. Right. Uh, let's see. There was no. We have. Uh, let's see. Going through some of our topics here. Um, oh, this is a good one. What is the role of selling your dish on the show? Well, that was just a quickie question of mine because it's it's interesting to me how, um, in, in, especially early in the season, there's a big part of what you do is when you bring out your plate and you tell them what it is. It seems to me like I, I'm. It seems like there is definitely some important role to how you frame what it is. Let's go with an obvious one. This season, if we learn nothing else, make sure you call your sauce the right thing or call your food the right thing because they get super mad and they like become Johnny Dictionary if you call something the wrong thing. I was just thinking about like when it really works for you to have some flair and performance with how you either sell your dish at the dinner table yeah. or at the judges' table, but also very clearly. Maybe just in the lore of the show, it can really get in your way, too. Or the joke people always make, quote-unquote, standing by your dish. That's death, right? So, like, go up there and go, well, I stand by the dish. Well, that means you're gone, basically. But I was curious what you guys thought because, like, where is, is there a line with that beyond just production and editing? Like, what is the proper role of having a little bit of a performance in how you present the dish and then not just plating but how you talk about it at the table? And then what is what kind of attitude works once you're being judged and maybe even are like on the chopping block. Well, on uh, I know in political campaigns we we call this uh, setting expectations or managing expectations. Um, and political campaigns are you know largely won and lost not by any sort of objective like did you perform this way or that way, 
but just in comparison to expectations. So that's why whenever if you ever notice before a presidential debate, right. the the it's so funny because it's like these candidates go on, they talk about how great they are, and then the week before the debate, it's like you know. Mitt Romney's campaign manager is going to go on CNN or the morning show, the Sunday morning shows, and he's going to be like, Barack Obama is the greatest debater that has ever lived, and he is a professor at University of Chicago, and if Mitt Romney goes on that stage and his pants don't fall off and he doesn't immediately vomit, he will have won the debate just by standing there for an hour and not ha being verbally destroyed by the smartest living human being, Barack Obama. <laughs> and you're like, Especially if you've just, if you've just had a surprising jump in the polls yeah. to where people could go, well, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. Like, if you get out there and you sound like a jackass, like, everybody's going, oh, yeah, well, that was just a temporary thing. Yeah, right. And, like, th it's one of the interesting things about the Trump phenomenon is, like, is Trump doing a good job on anything on the campaign? Objectively, no. But he is surpassing expectations, which is how you succeed in politics. The expectations are so low for him. It's one of the reasons he's been able to get the free media that he's getting and, and, and um, subvert everyone's what everyone thinks, everyone's preconceived notions, all of the, the tea leaf readers have been totally wrong, and Trump profits hugely from that. But anyway, I think selling your dish to the judges comes down to that same idea of managing expectations. So perfect example in this episode, Amar promised the judges a financier, which is some sort of cake, and it was not Marjorie made a cake that everyone said was a good cake. They all ate the cake, and they thought that the cake tasted good when it was in their mouths. It was objectively a good cake. But it wasn't a financier. It wasn't. It was did not do your taxes, and the judges were not happy because they said even though this was a good cake and it tasted good when we put the cake in our mouths, it wasn't the cake that you promised us. And if Amar had just come out and say, "Yeah, here's all my stuff," and Marjorie made a cake, they probably would have liked it a lot more. But it was the it was in comparison to the expectations that he asked to be judged by. Yeah, and even it, even if it was like the best dish on the plate that night. It makes you look, I guess, a little bit like a chump or like somebody – not a chump, but makes you look like you don't know what these things are called. And that's – you know, when you're dealing with nerds, the names for things matter. Well, and, and food is weird because a bowl of slop can taste very good. And like, you know, like one of my favorite foods is uh, uh, kanji, which is like a rice – it's like a Chinese peasant food and it's rice porridge with stuff in it. I, I love it's – it's like one of my all-time favorite foods. But it's literally like a bowl of gruel with just any garbage that you put in it. It's not like an attractive food. Like you could never win a Top Chef challenge with kanji. Mm -hmm. So it's like, did Amar make a good cake? Yeah, probably anything these guys put out in the finale would have been good. It would have tasted good to eat it. Like they're not going to put food out that tastes bad. They're looking for little things that show did they did they do what they promised or not. And And, you know, that's when you sell your judge. When you go out to the judges and you're like – I have tried to execute X, Y, and Z. That, that is part of what they're judging you on is what you said you were going to execute. And if you didn't execute X, Y, and Z, if you did something that was a little bit different, they might be like, well, it tasted good, but it wasn't what you said. Right. So, or sort of like the, um, oh, no, that's not really Japanese. That's Chinese. Exactly. Like you're, you're, trying, like you're trying to pull something Exactly. Over and like was Karen's dish good for that challenge? Yeah, probably was. I pro probably tasted pretty good, but it was not the – that wasn't the challenge. The challenge was to – be judged according to these criteria, and uh, she didn't. She didn't meet it for that challenge. So I think that's where that was part of Amar's problem. Was I think he he got in trouble for that for that financier. Um, but another example of that um, would be uh, uh, I remember in Restaurant Wars where Philip was like uh, when he was telling the waiters, he's like, uh, when you go put, put my dish down, 
you tell them to like <laughs> mash it all together, but then put this thing on and then eat that thing last. And then someone else like Jeremy or Amar, someone. Amar is like, don't tell people how to eat. That's like, Amar, that was it. Amar was like, you know, don't, don't tell people how to eat the food. Right. So that's another thing of like, there are sort of conventions to this um, of how you're presenting and how you're selling it where you're, I don't know, I guess in this case, respecting the intelligence of the judges, but still just giving them enough that they can fully appreciate what you've tried to execute. What do you think, Alex? <laughs> When I uh, I keep what do you think, <laughs> Mister Little Jeans? <laughs> Best play ever, man. Um, I I keep thinking that really uh, th- they're kind of fucked either way. Um, if they, you know, you can cut it however you want. Um, and but I I keep thinking about about what you said, how Kwame like wanting to be out and uh, him just you know getting the frozen waffles. Where they uh, had to present their food and also give uh, make make their own rap name for the quick fire, and it was just so stupid. And it's like even if you made a good dish or not, it it doesn't matter because the judges can make you look like an idiot, or they can make you, or I'm sorry, the the producers and editors can make you look like an idiot or make you look cool, no matter what. You're, you're a professional. You're a professional chef. Who's now obligated to rap on demand right. on national television? And yeah, um, so it's it's like you and I'm thinking too. Again, um, there was a challenge a while ago that I really liked. Maybe it was last season. Do you remember when uh, Sesame Street came to the? That was I think it was a quick fire, and they like had to make a cookie. And it's oh, like, right. oh well, you, you didn't make a cookie, but you made a cake, or and it it, it doesn't matter. Um, so I think like people like Marjorie have sort of like the people who are just have the most common sense and who are the most mild have the best chance of uh, looking the best on TV. But I think every, every single time it it depends on how you present your dish in terms of like actually winning a challenge. Man, yep. I think our show was the best part of the season. I certainly enjoyed it the most. This this program, yeah. I certainly enjoyed it. No, I think it in Have Reunion, they always have that on Top Dress. Will they have Reunion for this? I don't know. Do they do a Top Chef? I think they do. I feel like I've seen a Top Chef Reunion before. Uh, where are they now? <laughs> for some reason, every time I see something, where are they now? So this is on the Top Chef blog. Season 13's Chef Testants. Where are they now? And I, I for some reason, God, I'm a dark horse. I don't want to click because I smell <laughs> fear that it will say, sadly, 10 are now dead. <laughs> <laughs> Where they are now is dead. Only Jason. Jason and Philip are fighting in a cage, shirtless. So where are they now? Oh, there they are. There's photos of all of them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they'll do a... Um, but we've we got to eke out at least one more of these, don't we? I mean, for all the people who are here for the recaps and the, and the, and the hot takes. Yeah, I think we should... Uh, I, so I'm curious. I haven't gone... I haven't gotten into any of the sort of uh, secondary literature uh, on the season yet. So uh, I really want to get into some of these blog posts. And, of course, there's like Tom and Padma usually do like postseason wrap-ups. And I think it might be interesting. Like I've wanted to have a contestant from Top Chef on the podcast uh, for the entire season. So I think it might be interesting to try and hustle someone up to uh, join us next week. I have I know a couple I know a couple of sh- of uh, former Top Chef uh, contestants uh, here in Chicago. So I'm going to reach out see if we can have anyone anyone in the studio. And then I feel like that's really how we're going to get some uh, some uh, dang answers on like how do they do Last Chance Kitchen? Like what's it? You, you think know, they're allowed to say? Well, I don't know. Nick was pretty forthcoming about his relationship with Top Chef, but I guess he has nothing to lose. Huh. I don't know. I'd be interested. Like, I'm curious, this whole notion we've talked about, is there like a contract that governs how you are and aren't allowed to manipulate the challenges? Like, I'm just curious about so much of those little behind the scenes details. 
Well, and let's tear back the veil here. Now, Alex, you have you have uh, alluded to, uh, I guess this might be the dark net, but you've got information <laughs> you know of that's out there about behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, I don't know where you're getting this stuff from, but you Wait, Alex has seen. information? No, I, no just... Uh, <laughs> I, I do not What? Me? I'm just a girl. <laughs> How would I know where information is? I'm just a lesbian with cats. What's happening? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. That's the sinus infection talking. Uh, no, I. But you said like if you like you. I thought what you said was that if one were predisposed to things like spoilers, I don't know if there's a forum thing, but you can go out there and you can find things about what happens in a season. Where Where do you right. go? Uh, no, um, <laughs> Google. Uh, no, I. I just uh, Google. If uh, I like, I have friends who have worked. You know, because it's a cliche, but L.A. is a really small town, and you know, the PAs direct you to like, oh yeah, uh, just you know, go look at this forum, and then you know, you'll see a uh, contestant ranting, and then uh, a chef testant. Excuse will you, me. Will you pull some of that stuff Jason, together for Jeremy, next week? Trump, whatever. Um, yeah, I'll. I would I'll love <laughs> that. So, so for next week's episode, Alex is going to pull I'm together pull some. My of, she's going to. She's going to get her darknet websites together. I will try and hustle up a. Uh, uh, a real life, honest to God, Top Chef uh, contestant, and uh, we'll meet. We'll meet back here in one week, and uh, uh, we'll we'll uh, debrief the rest of uh, the season. Listen, if, if it helps at all, I don't like to pull out the celebrity card here. If it helps at all, uh, Spike Mendelson did go to the same military school that I did. Really? What? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some, some some fifteen years later, get Spike on the show. Gets by one of the oh uh, one of the one of my least favorite Top Chef uh, contestants of all time. Love to talk to that guy. Tell him to bring his hat. No, the other one. The other hat. This is Top Chef. Is not Top Scallops.